Okay. I want to share with you a few meaningful thoughts about Purim and this week's Torah portion as we enter into Shabbos. I'm still feeling the incredible, exuberating experience of Purim. I just took off my costume. I uh, I had some drinks of wine with some friends, had some uh my wonderful, beloved, closest students join me. And uh, it was a wonderful, wonderful experience. I want to tell you that this week's Torah portion is very unique because in this week's Torah portion, there is no mention of Moshe. And it's the only Torah portion since we were introduced to Moshe at the beginning of this book of the Torah that he, and he, that he doesn't appear. Not at all. No mention of him. But God speaks to him nonetheless. And it begins, And you should command the children of Israel. And uh, I want to share with you an amazing story that happened to me, true story, that happened uh, exactly five years ago. Five years ago uh, today, my son Sruli had his bris. And... It was on Purim Katan. It was a leap year. So we had an extra month that year. So it was two months of other. So it wasn't the real Purim. It was called the small Katan, Purim Katan. And for the whole pregnancy, we wanted to name Yisrael Israel after my wife's great-grandfather, a Ger Hasid, a Polish Hasidic Jew who came to America, lived in Brooklyn, and we also wanted to name after the Baal Shem Tov, the founder of the Hasidic movement, Yisrael Baal Shem. And the only problem was then my son was born on Zion Adar, which is the yurt site and the birthday of Moshe Rabbeinu of Moses. Moses' birthday and the day that he died. Very, very auspicious day. Additionally, Moshe, uh, additionally, my son's bris was on Zion Adar on the seventh day on the, uh, uh, his bris was on Purim Katan on the small Purim. And that's also significant because it's Purim. So suddenly I had a whole bunch of names that I had to name after. I had to name Moshe, maybe. I should name after Moshe because my son was born on Moses' birthday. Or maybe I should name Mordechai because my son got his bris on, on Mordechai, on, on Purim. Or maybe I should name Moshe Mordechai, which is, a very uh, famous name of a, of a Hasidic Rebbe, or maybe uh, Yisrael Moshe, if we keep Yisrael or Yisrael Mordechai. Uh, what do we do? So I was very, very perplexed. And until the moment of the bris, I had no idea what to do. I asked my Rebbe, who came to visit us in Albany, where we were living at the time, what I should do. And he said, if I were you, I would name Yisrael, so that you get the full name of the great-grandfather and the full name of the Baal Shem Tov. And that's the best way to name after a person, is to give their real name. If it's a righteous person, we try to name after them. But he said, but I'm not going to tell you what to do, because you have prophecy. The Arizal says, famous Kabbalist says, that when parents name their children, they have a certain amount of divine prophecy of what's called Ruha Kodesh, divine inspiration to name their children, to give a name that's fitting of that child's spiritual mission in this world. So he said, I'm not going to tell you what to do. You have to come up with the name on your own, but that's what I recommend. But I, I just didn't 
feel that I could go with that alone. I, I, it was my prophecy. I had to come up with an, uh, an answer, and I felt like I was wronging Moshe. I was wronging uh, Mordechai if I didn't name after them. So up until the moment of the bris, I had no idea what to name my son and my wife. In this unique case, told me it's completely my choice. Now, with one of our other children, I had a name that my wife did not like. And right before I gave the name, we read from the Torah, and the name that we read in the Torah was the name I wanted to give. So I almost changed it at that moment, but I knew if I did, my wife would never speak to me again. So I didn't. But at this moment, this time, my wife gave me full permission to name whatever name I felt. So a second before the bris, I asked the Mohel, the person who was doing the circumcision, who was also Hasidic Rebbe, the his name was Rabbi Ashkenazi from Borough Park, from Brooklyn, uh, the, the Zlutch of a Rebbe, I believe. And I said to him, what should I have in mind during the bris? And he said to me the following statement. He said, you should have in mind, B'Shem Kol Yisrael, that the mitzvah, this mitzvah, and this is a Hasidic Kabbalistic intention to have whenever you do a mitzvah, is that you should have in mind all of Israel, that your mitzvah is not yours alone. You're sharing it with everybody else. All the other Jewish people, who all the other people who need that mitzvah. Sometimes people have a positive thought and they don't get to fulfill mitzvah. So maybe your action will connect itself to someone else's intention. So we always have in mind everyone that we're all connected. You can't do all the things I can do and I can't do all the good deeds you can do. But together we can have each other in mind. And in that way we can do these deeds together. So he said, have in mind, B'Shem, call Israel, have in mind all of Israel. But the actual literal literal translation of what he said is B'Shem Kol Yisrael, in the name of all of Israel. And at that moment, I knew the answer to my question. I should name Israel Yisrael, because Yisrael includes all the other names, because the Jewish people includes Moshe, includes Mordechai, because Mordechai is called HaYehudi. Mordechai was the quintessential Jew. And Moshe, the Orachim HaKadosh, and the Gemara, the Talmud say that Hishpastushta, the Moshe Bechol Dor, that the impression and the influence of Moshe is, every, is, in, is in every Jew. And every Jew has a little bit of the soul of Moshe, of Moses. So by naming Israel, I was naming a little bit of Moshe, that Moshe is included in the name Israel, And that's really perhaps the reason that Moshe is not mentioned in this week's Torah portion. Because Moshe, Moses, unbelievable, uh, in the next week's Parsha, he, he gets up, uh, the Jewish people do a terrible thing. They worship the golden calf. And Moshe says to God, if you destroy, the, God wants to destroy the Jewish people. And Moshe says, I would rather, if you destroy the Jewish people, take me out of your book. And God says, I'll make a greater nation just from you. From your descendants will be the future of the Jewish people. Moshe says, no. If it's not the entire nation, then I'd rather not be part of it. And he literally is willing to risk his entire existence, his entire spiritual connection to the Torah for the sake of the Jewish people because he sacrifices his life for the Jewish people in the Torah. They're called after his name. He becomes intrinsically connected to the Jews. And that's, that's the Moshe's willingness to give up everything that the Jews should have a, be the chosen people. And that's the, uh, many explain that that's why Moshe doesn't appear in this week's Parsha. Because Moshe said, erase me from your book. 
And when a righteous person says something, it happens. So therefore, there's a parsha, there's a portion in the Torah where there is no Moshe. Moshe doesn't appear. And yet he's hidden in the entire book because God is talking to him the whole time. Tetzava b'nei Israel, you should command the children of Israel. And at my son's bris, I said a nice uh, Hasidic creative interpretation of these words. The word tetzava means to command, but it also means to be intimately connected. Connection, the word mitzvah doesn't mean a commandment. It does, I mean, it literally means a commandment. But the, the Kabbalists, the mystics explain the deeper meaning of the word mitzvah means, the word safsa means connection. Because a mitzvah is an opportunity to connect to God. So I said as follows, Atta, you God, Titsave, or you Moshe, Titsave should be connected. El B'nai, not B'nai Israel, I, I translated it as B'ni, my son, Yisrael. You should be connected to my son, Yisrael. Moshe, his name is intrinsically hidden within the name Yisrael, and God should be also connected to my son, Yisrael. And truly, Kenai uh, Nahara has given us a tremendous amount of nachas. So, to tie that into Purim, for those of you who heard my longer podcast on Purim, unmasking Purim, so you'll know that there's one thing missing from the entire Megillah, the scroll, the scroll of Esther, and that is God's name. God's name does not appear in the entire story of Purim, not even once. And that's very strange for a Jewish book. We're used to God and open miracles and God commanding and God revealing, and yet there's no mention of God because the m- story of Purim is that God is hidden in the actions of our life, in history, because history is really his story. But it's his story in a hidden sense, that God is hidden in the incidences and the coincidences of our lives, because really there are no coincidences. Everything is God's hand, but hidden and behind the scenes. And that's the meaning of Purim. That's the message of Purim, which the Talmud says is much, much higher than, than the experience at Mount Sinai where God revealed himself to the Jewish people and s- commanded us and spoke to us and said, I am the Lord your God. Purim is a much greater level because it's a relationship that took place without being proved, a relationship that took place in the darkness, and that's the ultimate relationship because true relationships take place when you don't feel it, when you don't feel that open love, that romance of love at first sight, that infatuation, that's not true love. True love is when you say, I don't know, you know, I don't feel it right now. I'm not feeling so connected to you. And yet I'm going to continue to give to you. I'm going to continue to love you because I'm committed to you, committed to you as a person. That, my friends, is true love. And that's the story of Purim, is a true love between us and God, even when we don't see him, because we recognize that he's there behind the scenes. And the Purim story shows that through all the coincidences that happen, it's all for the good. That's why ultimately why we drink on Purim to recognize that there's no difference between good and bad because everything is good. Everything is God. And that's why we wear masks on Purim because we recognize that God is hidden in the world. That's why we eat hamantashen on Purim because hamantashen is sweet jelly that or chocolate that's hidden underneath dough. That's why we eat dumplings, preplach, pimeni on Purim. Again, the same message that God is hidden, hidden inside the events of our life inside the things that seem randomly random and coincidences. There's God behind it. He's running the show. There's a master plan. And that's the, ultimately the meaning of Purim. 
That's why we drink. That's why we mass. That's why we hit hamantash. And, and we should all be blessed to see that there's a hidden hand behind all the random things that happen in our life. Seemingly random things, I should say. All there is is God. And I want to conclude the following line, which I can't, said to someone today, is growth in spirituality and in Judaism is not all or nothing. It's not about having to do everything right now. It's about wanting to do everything, but taking one step at a time. Life is about dreaming big and acting small. Dream about changing the world, about inspiring the masses, about changing your life, and then think, what's the next smallest thing I can do to bring me one step closer to that dream? I want to bless you all with a beautiful Shabbos and a Freilich and happy, happy Purim. Thank you so much for listening.